Hey folks, Zach Ostrom here, IO Insider, uh, Indianapolis Star, you know the drill. Um, this is a, I guess, a Mind Your Banners special. Uh, this is not the Sunday Mind Your Banners, which this week we recorded on Monday. It's not the Thursday Mind Your Banners, which we will presumably record tomorrow, as long as Dustin's not attending another concert I'm unaware of. Um, but we asked Bill Connolly, he of ESPN, of S&P Plus, um, I think a lot of you know who he is to just kind of come on because Dustin and I really got into the weeds with this discussion on Monday of just what Indiana fans should think of this team. It's three and oh, they've had some exciting wins. On the other hand, I think even the the casual fan, even the optimistic fan can see some some real sort of reasons for guarded optimism at best. And I wanted to ask Bill, who, you know, really, I think, has as strong and commanding of kind of a view of the whole field in college football, what, where IU falls and why. So, first of all, Bill, thank you so much for, for joining us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess the, the to start off, I think Indiana, I, I looked these numbers up before we came on. They started in, in S&P Plus this year. They started number 86. Um in the country, I don't think anybody was really surprised by that. Last season was a disaster, and then a lot of people left, um, including some people whose Heisman odds are plummeting at the moment out <laughs> in Seattle. Um, they were projected to win 3.4 games, two games in the Big Ten. Offense was ranked 98th in the preseason, defense 67th. Now they're 3-0, and and a lot of those numbers haven't improved much. <laughs> and I recognize that that there's a lot that goes into it, but I mean, at some level for, for lack of something a little bit less reductive, forgive me. I mean, is there kind of an extent to which it's sort of some of that reflects the idea that you can't just keep hoping you win this way where you play badly for long stretches and games against frankly, you know, teams maybe around your level, but certainly it's not like you're doing it against Penn state and then springing up at the end, the way they did in 2020, you can't keep just sort of, laying flat for long periods and then waking up right when you need to. <laughs> right. That, that's generally, I mean, the, the game stats overall kind of tell the tale so far, just in terms of what probably would have happened more often than not versus what did. I, I have a measure that I always tweet about on, on Sundays and Mondays during a given week called post-game win expectancy, which is basically all the things that end up going into my SP plus rating success rates and, you know, the, uh, those types of factors, red zone plays count a little more, all that stuff. Um, basically if you just kind of toss those up in the air from a given game and and you, you say you know based on these stats based on the predictive quality of these stats you could have expected to win this game x percent of the time um so illinois in which indiana let's see the from a success rate perspective for the game illinois success rate was 46.1 percent indiana's was 36 percent 35.9 um, Illinois had the field position advantage and created more scoring opportunities. Um, the postgame win expectancy for Indiana in that game was 31%. Um, and they won. So congrats to them for that. But basically it's saying that whatever those pregame projections were, like whatever the win probability odds before the game, it's probably pretty close to 31%. So they basically, they, they won the, the one in three that they had a chance at. And, and so they didn't really move up. I think they jumped us from the 86 to 79th for that game. Um, after Idaho, which I think everybody should be able to agree, I would assume that they did not look very good against Idaho. Um, they they slipped to, from 79th to 81st. 
I mean, they handle their business, but again, they didn't really win by as much as they were projected to win by. And, and so that you don't really get credit for that. Uh, it's not a resume rating by any means. And then this last game, Western Kentucky, uh, SP Plus had Western Kentucky projected to win. Uh, and based again on that post game win expectancy where Western Kentucky had the success rate advantage, um, what else had a big play advantage by, by a good margin. Uh, the, the, the size of their big plays was bigger. Um, and and they were more efficient and uh, they ended up creating the same number of scoring chances, but it was still a game that based on the stats, Western Kentucky wins more often than not. It was 11% post-game win expectancy for, uh, for Indiana in that game. Um, they, you know, on average, they probably lose by about 11 points. Instead, they won by three. So again, congrats. And, and I want, before we go any further, I want to, you know, say very clearly uh, when you see the stats reacting this way, or when you see me trying to justify the stats or whatever, I'm not saying like, you should be ashamed. This is not a three and O program. These wins don't count. Like celebrate the wins, always celebrate the wins. And I wish when it was, when I was t- talking about a team like this, that it was a team that, you know, wins a lot. And, and therefore I can talk about how they're overrated or whatever. That's a lot more fun than taking a program that it's coming off a really bad year and saying, yeah, they're, they're not really three, and know, but that's kind of, that's the picture. Basically you add up those win expectancies, you know, 31% against Illinois, 99% against Idaho, 11% against Western Kentucky. And you get a team that on average would have expected to win about 1.4 games so far, which again is probably very close to preseason projections. So Fact that they started 86th and they they're now 82nd. That that's you can agree or disagree with it, but that's how we get there. That's how um, a three and O team barely moves up. So um, you know that's hopefully hopefully that explains it, whether I like to to explain it or not. I was looking at the projections or not the projections, the rankings after this week. I noticed Duke and Kansas were in the 80s or 90s too. So it's possible. Is it possible SP just hates basketball programs? Basketball I mean, I, I, if there's any sort of personal bias uh, in, in, you know, leaning on these formulas, then not really being a fan of basketball would certainly be pretty high on that <laughs> list. Yeah. Um, I recognize this is kind of a loaded question, but, but you'll have so much more familiarity with, I guess, maybe the predictive nature of, of some of this. And I think Indiana, I always sort of, and I did this on Monday in our podcast, I juxtapose Indiana and Purdue because for like two years after Jeff Brom and Tom Allen came into their jobs in the same offseason, Indiana lost a bunch of coin toss games and kept going five and seven. And Purdue yeah. won, had a couple really good wins to Purdue's credit, but also won a couple coin toss games and went six and six in back-to-back years. Yeah, And sort of this narrative became Purdue is on the rise. Indiana is faltering. They hired the wrong guy. Then Indiana won a ton of coin toss games in 2019 <laughs> and went eight and five. Purdue lost a bunch of coin toss games with injuries and went, I think, four and eight. And suddenly the whole thing flipped on itself. And suddenly it was Tom Allen is a genius. And boy, right. what's what's going on in West Lafayette? I guess I guess my question is sort of how often does it happen that you get a team that that maybe just frankly isn't you know is flawed and i think indiana is going to remain flawed all year whatever happens whatever their final record wherever the season ends but does just kind of find a way to at least while it's working out maybe the 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 worst of its kinks just finds it that that way to win games it probably shouldn't and then sort of just ends up with enough of those coin flip games to be six and six at the end of the year and then a program like indiana can say what a wonderful season after two and ten back in the bowl field, whatever. I guess basically what I'm saying is how often is it that, that a team 
sort of starts down here and maybe doesn't even get that far out of that range, but just lands on heads enough to, to have at least, you know, I think Indiana fans, for example, would probably feel like five and seven would be a really mm-hmm. good season after two and 10, getting back to that competitive level, certainly anything better than that. I think they'd celebrate, you know, resoundingly just how often does that happen that maybe a team again, just, just gets the, the coin to land on heads enough to have one of those seasons that's that's for a place like this is is passable. So how how long uh, how frequently do teams pull a northwestern is what you're saying? <laughs> yes. Um, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, that, that's been kind of the ultimate advantage, uh, the ultimate example. Uh, like northwestern, I'm looking at the the numbers here. In 2014, they ranked 65th and went five and seven. 2015, they went 10 and three and ranked 70th. Um, they jumped to 54th the next year, but fell to seven and six. Um, they went nine and five in 2018 and ranked 65th. They, there were a couple of legitimately solid ratings in there. They were te- they're 27th in, in 2017, they're 20th in 2020. Um, but they are a team that kind of engineers close games, whether it's they're playing better teams or worse teams, they kind of engineer close game situations with the trust that they can maneuver through those better. And I do think there's you know, my old SB Nation coworker, Bud Elliott, and I used to talk about this, still do talk about this sometimes, kind of a, for, a, a close game formula. Like if you've got a coach who just kind of knows, uh, you know, the general structure of how to win, close out those games, when to, when to kind of start your four-minute drill. It's not really four-minute drill. And now I think it's like, you know, three-minute and 20-second drill, that kind of deal. Um, but when, how you operated that, how you operate two-minute drill, how you operate, you know, running the clock earlier in the game and just all these little things, that matters. Quarterback play matters, not only just how good he is, but, you know, the decisions he makes at specific times and special teams matter when you've got the special teams advantages, when you can get definitely get three points out of certain opportunities, when you can flip the field uh, and and make your opponent go an extra five or 10 uh, yards in a given drive, all those things add up and it probably gives you a little bit of an edge. So there is that if we think that what we've seen from Indiana so far, just in terms of you know, the quarterback play, um, you know, Connor Bays, like the throws he's making at certain times of the game, because obviously he's come up with big scores and uh, against both Illinois and Western Kentucky late. Uh, if we think that the run game and, and Sean Shivers, especially if the, what they're doing at specific times is, is sustainable. If we think that special teams, which they're uh, 47th in my special teams ranking so far, uh, 34th in place kicking and 60th in punting, uh, not a whole lot in returns, but that doesn't matter as much. So if we think those things are sustainable and, and will carry them through when opponents get better, that's kind of the other part of this. They're, they've are they beaten the teams that are currently 63rd and 64th in SP Plus, but they've got 17, 5, 39, 9, 3, 24, 36 all left on the schedule, um, along with number 68, Nebraska, and 74, Rutgers on the road. But that's kind of if we think that that recipe is sustainable and will continue to work as the opponents get better then sh- sure like I-, I think sp plus measures a lot of those things but there's still probably a little wiggle room where there, where teams can be a little more successful than their ratings over time um i don't think i see that though that's kind of the main <laughs> thing especially as the opponents improve um you know the timeliness of of basilac's good drives is just really hard like if you were really as good as he's been in a couple of those fourth quarter situations you would have been that way in the first second and third um so i do think that's kind of that formula doesn't really appear to be all that sustainable right now for them and 
Uh, but look, like they're, they're what I still have in the middle of like 23% uh, for making a bowl. That was probably much lower at the start of the season. They do have two more winnable games, pretty winnable games. You want to, and then they got to find out another one, whether it's Purdue at home, whether it's Maryland at home. That's a path to a bowl and a path to at least five wins, which is kind of uh, kind of right now, four and five are basically equally likely from my numbers. But, um, you know, there, there is a path. The the outlook for how the season will end is much higher than it was three weeks ago, even if the play hasn't been just absolutely amazing. So there's still something to that. I think the other thing I, I wanted to ask from Indiana's perspective, and it's not like people, it's not like schools don't see turnover anymore. I mean, the, the, the portal has kind of, I've been sifting through, um, if, if you want to give yourself a headache as a, as a, a an IU fan, sift through, basically big 10 basketball projections. I've been putting mine together the last two days and and my head has hurt for the last two days because there's so much turnover in the portal and, and everything, but Indiana really kind of embraced that even more than the average last year, five new coaches, more than that, almost three dozen new players between (laughs) transfers and freshmen. And if you look at, you know, all over the field, you've got new faces at quarterback at running back. I mean, basically almost every wide receiver tight end, you know, even in spots where maybe you, filled a starting role internally. It's with somebody who didn't play a lot the year before. I recognize not all this drills down to the microscopic microscopic of each individual player, but basically I guess what I'm asking is at what point do, does all this sort of reflect, like where's the, where's kind of the point of inflection between basically building the model in the preseason that, that takes everything into account, but also can't account for, you know, what's different about Connor Bay's lack under Walt Bell as opposed to when he was at Missouri, et cetera. And sort of when that gets washed out by what's happening this season. Yeah. And so <laughs> when, when you, when it's sort of, it stops being maybe sort of a combination of it. Cause I think I, people see this. I think, I think basketball fans have learned to see this a lot with a lot of the popular projections in basketball, Ken Palm and Torvik and stuff that it takes about a month for a lot of the preseason projection within the numbers to wash out because of results and, and actual sort of performances. Like when does that sort of, what is the point of inflection there with, I guess, where Indiana, how Indiana seen. Yeah. I am jealous of sports that actually have sample sizes. Um, <laughs> cause ours, cause ours just doesn't, uh, you know, right now, Right now, preseason projections are still making up a good 80-something percent of the ratings overall because it's been three games. In basketball, three games is a week and a half. Um, you know, that's a tournament in Maui or whatever. That's three games. And, and we've learned as much about the teams, their football teams on the field as we would in one of those tournaments. So it's just it's a completely different deal. And, and because of that, priors, priors are always there uh, because it makes the numbers more predictive. I don't do it out of like principle or to prop Alabama up or some of the things I always get accused of. I, I, the, the system is set up as, you know, what makes the best projections from start to finish. And even at the end of the season, the preseason projections are still in there like 10% by the end of the year, they never go away fully um, because we never, at the end of a, if you, if you made the, the college football playoff final, you still ended up with like half of a basketball regular season in terms of number of games. So yeah, it, it's right now, it's still very heavily based on the past because the past is very predictive and um, that'll change slightly after, after six weeks is when it starts to drop below 50%. Actually this week after three or after four games is where it drops a good amount and then it'll drop even further and kind of level off for a while. But um, 
Yeah. I mean, the answer is basically, yes, teams have moved in the first three weeks because the results and the performances do matter, but it's still uh, last year and recruiting and rankings and all those things are, are still carrying heavy weight. So along those lines, though, as far as transfer portal, to get to that part of the question, um, I have not done any, made any significant changes to the way I go about the preseason projections or how uh, the way I go about phasing out the preseason projections yet. Because we basically had two seasons now, or this is the second season of really, really heavy transfer classes. So I, I basically, the way they end up in my preseason projections is I, I basically mash the new guys' numbers into the returning production totals. Um, and that's worked pretty well in the past it, 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 in an atmosphere where teams will have one to five new transfers, basically. That's worked pretty well. Um I, I I sort of saw like I could see a situation based on last year's numbers. I could see a situation where they get phased out a little quicker moving forward, but I'm not going to do it until I know. And this year will be pretty telling in that regard. USC especially, um, how USC performs compared to projections is going to be pretty big because they that was unprecedented what we saw from them in terms of not only the volume of transfers, but, you know, the Bolitnikov winner and one of the five most celebrated quarterbacks in the country and all those types of pieces coming to town. That's different. We don't have a precedent for that. And, and, and so uh, SP plus has kind of undersold USC in particular this year. And when I have enough data and I see something to change, I will, we just don't have it yet. I got to end this and, and really truly thank you for the time. Um, I think, when I listened back to the podcast Dustin and I did on on Monday, I I realized that I was probably overly pessimistic about Indiana, and and I think we I presented it as reasons for optimism and reasons for pessimism, and then gave a lot more reasons for pessimism than optimism. <laughs> and I recognize that there may be more reasons for pessimism than optimism, especially kind of having you know lived the the experience of of these three games from a reporter's perspective, but but from yours. Um, I mean, basically, if, if Indiana fans want to be optimistic about, let's just say, a path to six and six, which I think after last season would be, you know, a, a huge win for, mm -hmm. for that, pro for this program, for all the obvious reasons. Is it basically just kind of as simple as try to spring the two road upsets in October and, and then get Maryland and, and, you know, sort of, I think the term that, that we'd use in soccer is sort of smash and grab. At this right. point, yeah, I mean, you you figure Michigan's out of reach. Um, you figure Penn State, Ohio State's out of reach. Michigan State, we'll see. Um, they certainly weren't impressive last week, but they still are kind of getting the benefit of the doubt for sure. And they're in the mid twenties still in SP plus. So also, those, Michael Penix will never lose to Michigan State. He never has, and he really probably never will at this point. That's you know, he has that you know. Yeah, that, that's been lovely to see, by the way. I, I really like Kalen DeBar. I really like Michael Penix. I know that doesn't help Indiana at all, but uh, it's been <laughs> it's been nice to see that. But yeah, I mean, the in, from a win probability standpoint, Rutgers is thirty nine percent right now for pre game win probability. I should say, I guess um, you know thirty nine percent at Rutgers, thirty five percent at Nebraska. Both of those are projected within a touchdown. Maryland's at twenty eight percent, about ten points. Purdue's twenty six percent, about eleven points. So. Yeah, the, the most direct path is continue to overachieve the numbers slightly, hope that Nebraska continues to bomb, basically. Um, you know, win a toss-up at Rutgers and, and win one of the two home games. It's not unsustainable. It's not un, uh, completely unrealistic. 
Um, and I will say, as far as reasons for optimism go, the red zone defense seems real. And part any part of winning any sort of part of any sort of close game formula too is forcing field goals, scoring touchdowns for yourself, which isn't as great for Indiana right now, but forcing field goals for your opponent. Um, Northwestern, that was part of their formula for sure. Uh, turnovers have been positive for Indiana, but also not in a really uh, unrealistic. Uh, unsustainable way they've created more opportunities for turnovers so that's good they're winning the field position battle because of special teams and the turnover situation they're forcing teams off schedule pretty well they're allowing them back on schedule they're they're not really doing all that well in passing downs but they're still if you're behind schedule less than your opponent that's a good sign so i mean you could see pieces you know if confidence is growing because of the wins and those things continue to be strengths you can see a path there with those with those games remaining the two road games and the two home games you know you got to win three out of four and that might that still feels like too much but it might not in a couple more weeks so we'll see i mean i again i don't want to there's not there's more reason for pessimism or, or leveling off than anything else but it's it's not completely dire here by any stretch of the imagination I think you, you did hit on the same theme that dustin and i sort of closed with on monday which is just celebrate the wins yeah. Um, I think my my, my Auburn stepmother would would certainly like to be celebrating a few more. My Auburn grad stepmother would like to be celebrating a few more wins and a few fewer emails from bookmakers claiming Brian Harson is the uh, the most likely <laughs> the likeliest coach to get fired next. So, um, Bill, thank you so much for joining us. This this has been a, a, a mind your banner special for uh, what is today. I'm losing my mind. September 21st, 2022. We'll stop dating these at some point because I can't keep track of what day of the month it is. Uh, but Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll be back after Tom Allen's Zoom on Thursday, getting you ready for Cincinnati. Until then, uh, talk to you soon.